Morning, Journey. Good to be here this morning. Uh, every time we get into a new sermon series, Pastor Dave does a great job of sending me the texts and the, the titles of what it's going to be and different things. And I got this one. And the title of the message this morning that I was supposed to preach was called Don't Miss Christmas. And I thought, what kind of an idiot misses Christmas? <laughs> like, <laughs> normally Dave's really good at this. And I was like, who misses Christmas? Like, hello, there's a tree over here. There's all these flowers around here. Like, I'm assuming you probably have packages at your home. You're probably planning a meal. Like, is anybody really coming to Journey and going, you know, Christmas came. I didn't even notice. I thought, how could someone be so dense that they would miss a, a, a huge event that's celebrated every year? Like, how does somebody miss something like that? And then I remembered this time where Megan and I lived in Illinois. And it was in the summer, and in Illinois where we live, just understand that the Demolition Derby is like the Super Bowl of Super Bowls there, all right? Like, it is the event of the year. People wait for it. They long for it. There's a guy out there named Mike Brown. None of you have heard of him. He's just below Jesus because he's won like 25 demolition derbies. And so we're at the demolition derby at the county fair. It's a packed grandstand in our town. Everybody's enjoying it. We have some friends that are in it. It gets to the main event of the evening, and everybody's geared up as much as you can at the demo derby. And uh, we get in there, and all of a sudden over the PA, they sing the national anthem. They get ready to go, and they said, hey, before we start, small town, they said, we want to wish uh, Mr. and Mrs. Megan and Justin Ralston a happy anniversary. And I went, oh, no. <laughs> and all of our friends are like, yeah. And I looked at Megan, and I'm like, today's our anniversary, huh? Well, I took you to the demo derby. You're welcome. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You can miss things sometimes, right? In fact, I would suggest that, that Pastor Dave touched on this a little bit last week, that it's easy sometimes to miss Christmas these days. Oh, oh not the presents or the trees or your family or the food. But, but like he said last week, that's not what Christmas really is. Those are the things that we add to the celebration of Christmas season. But Christmas is about a king who came and who is coming again. And believe it or not, it, it's actually easier to miss than you think. And this morning, if you got your Bibles with you, your Bible app, open to Luke chapter 1, scroll there. We're going to sit in Luke 1 and 2 for a long time today, just giving you a heads up. We're going to read a ton of scripture this morning. And I'm doing that intentionally. It's a little bit different than I would normally preach. I normally wouldn't read this much. I mean, we're talking like two chapters of Scripture. But I want to make sure this morning that we dig into the Word and we do not miss the King. That we don't miss Christmas when it came the first time and how people responded on that first Christmas so long ago. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to look at six people who encountered Christmas. Six people who were there the very first time and how they responded. And hopefully, this morning, God will use that to remind you and me of how we are to respond in this season as well. In Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But Mary was greatly troubled at that saying and tried to discern what kind of a greeting that was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, she said, How can that be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said this. She said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now in those days, it goes on to say that Mary went in haste to Judah. She met to Zechariah in Elizabeth's house. And when she entered the house, the baby, John the Baptist, in Elizabeth's womb, leapt with joy. And they all understood what was going on here. And so Mary encounters the Christmas story for the very first time, right? She's the very first person to understand what Christmas is supposed to be about. Now understand that in Mary's day, the people of Judah hated the Jewish people from Galilee where Mary is at. They didn't like the Jewish people from Galilee because supposedly they weren't cleaner or they weren't as kosher as everybody else because they, they constantly were interacting with Gentile people. And they especially didn't like people from Nazareth in Galilee. And that's where God chooses the mother of Jesus. God goes into this place that nobody liked. He goes to this land of Galilee where everybody thought the Jews were a little bit less. And then he picks the lowliest town in the lowliest place to find this young girl. Now, most people understand that, that Jewish women were often married very early in life. Most scholars believe that Mary was probably right around 15. And into this 15-year-old girl from a lowly village comes God, comes Christmas. And God says, this is the one who will bring in the coming king. Now, now Mary knew what was going to happen, but she couldn't figure out how it could happen. Like, her question in verse 34 is not her response. Her question is not, God, I don't think you can do this. It's, it's not a question of unbelief. Mary's question is actually expre an expression of faith. When Mary says, God, how can this be? She's not saying that he can't do it. What she's saying is, I believe that you will do this, but I cannot figure out how. And God says some big things to Mary in this passage. I mean, think about this. This is big stuff that Mary's hearing. God's telling her that she's going to conceive a child before she's married in a time where that could get you killed. God tells her not only is she going to conceive a child then, but actually it's not going to be from her husband. It's going to immaculately be conceived. It's just going to show up because of the Holy Spirit. And now she has to explain that to everybody, and nobody's going to believe that. And God says, oh, by the way, not only will that be super hard, <laughs> but he's going to be the coming king who the whole world has waited for. And Mary's response to Christmas was this. She said, I am your servant. May it be done according to your word. 
Mary's response was to say, okay, God, I'm in. I'll serve. Can you imagine? <laughs> all this stuff that this, this angel tells Mary, all these things, this unbelievable, ridiculously miraculous thing that's going to happen in her. And oh, by the way, he'll be the Messiah of the world, the coming king, the one who will cause the rising and falling of nations. And you're going to do that, young 15-year-old Mary. And Mary says, well, God, I don't, how are you going to do that? And God says, I will. And Mary says, okay, I'm in. It's, it's almost like God does that thing that maybe it's just me that I do with my kids. They say, why do I have to do that? Because I said so. Well, how does that happen? Don't worry about it. <laughs> like that's what it seems like Mary goes, okay. Okay, I'm in. And in fact, she goes on. She's not just in, she's excited. She's thrilled. She's celebratory. Her response is not just to serve. Her response is to say, God, this is the most merciful thing that you've ever done. In verse 46, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked at the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For God, who is mighty, has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, just like he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary gets this unbelievable Christmas message. And she says, okay, God, I'm in. And God, I'm excited that your mercy will come. Ma Mary's praise, to me, seems to show that she knows more than maybe we think. It seems to be that she understands a lot more than most of us would have in that situation. David Platt, the Bible scholar, says this. He says, Mary yields in faith. And he says, doesn't, it, doesn't Mary sound a lot like other great people in Scripture? D doesn't Mary sound a lot like Isaiah when Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me? Doesn't she sound like Esther who says, if I die, I die, but I'll do what God has called me to do? Doesn't she sound like Ruth when she tells Naomi, your people will be my people, your God will be my God? She said, it brings me to mind like Job. He said, it sounds like Job when Job says, even if God kills me, I will have my hope in him platt says mary reminds us of jesus who in the garden of gethsemane said father not your will but mine be done or not my will but yours be done platt says this he says this is how faithful people respond to god's plan even when they do not understand it see, see the only way we can respond the way mary does is to believe that god's plan is better than ours Mary responds to Christmas with faith. And you and I, we, we cannot be like Mary until, like Mary, we accept that God's plan is what's best for our lives, whether we understand it or not. Jesus cannot be Lord if we still rule ourselves. And Mary sees Christmas for what it really is, this coming king. And she says, okay, God, I'm in. Well, in Luke chapter 1, you go a little further, and we read about Zechariah. 
And Zechariah is the, the father of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is born, and Zechariah is excited about his son who has come into the world. But listen to what he says in celebration. It says, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied and said this, verse 68. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David, as he spoke by his prophets of old, so that we could be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy that was promised to us, to our fathers, and to remember his holy promise, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we might be delivered from the hand of our enemies, so that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all of our days. And you, child, talking about John the Baptist here, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord, and you will prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to the people in the forgiveness of their sins. And this is all because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise will visit us from on high and give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, and will guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah hears and sees and knows what Christmas is really about. His son is born and he knows that his son's job is to prepare the way for the king who is coming. His son is kind of the hype man for Christmas. He's the guy that's supposed to be spreading real Christmas cheer everywhere he goes. And Zechariah's response to this message of Christmas, to this king who is coming, is to thank God that salvation has arrived. See, Zechariah understands that Jesus is more than a baby that's coming. Zechariah understands that it's more than his nephew, that there's something going on here. Zechariah knows that what's coming is not just a baby. It's a king who will bring hope to the world. And Zechariah, when he opens his mouth and he, he sings really this hymn of praise, there, there's four pictures of Jesus and what he says. He says, what's coming from Mary, this baby that's about to be born, this king who's coming, he says, this, this Christmas gift is really the opening of prison doors. In fact, the word that, that he uses is the word redeem, and it means setting people free by paying a price. Zechariah says that this king who's coming will open prison doors and set captives free. He, he says this king who is coming is the one who will bring victory in the battle. He, he says he will be the horn of salvation. And in scripture, the horn symbolizes power and victory. Really, the picture that Zechariah is painting here of this is he, he's talking about an army who is really close to being defeated. Uh, what Zechariah is saying is that, that God's people, they're in this moment, it's, it's like an army who's just on the brink of defeat, just on the brink of being taken captive and losing the battle, and then all of a sudden, in the last minute, hope arrives. An enemy is defeated because someone shows up to bring help. That's who's coming. Zechariah says that's what Christmas is. He, he, he says that's opening prison doors, winning a battle that you thought was hopeless. It's the canceling of a debt. He says this king will come and he will pay for every debt that you've ever had. He will take away your sin and he will pay the price. He will be the dawning of a new day. Zechariah says that Jesus, this coming king, is the sunrise in the land of darkness. I love that picture. He says this king will come when we are in darkness and in death and Christmas will come and will turn the lights on. 
and they will bring light and life and peace. See, Zechariah saw Christmas coming, and he knew it was more than people thought. He knew this wasn't just a baby, it was a king who was coming to bring salvation to people trapped in darkness. This was a new day of hope that had dawned. Zechariah's response to Christmas was to fully and utterly try to grasp everything that it really was about. And Luke goes on. And you get to chapter 2, and in verse 8 it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to the shepherds, they said, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find that baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel and a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And then they saw it. They made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, she treasured up these things. She pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. Now you've heard story after story, usually around Christmas, of how lowly shepherds are. Like they're not the people that you normally would announce news to. But I'm not sure that's totally true. Now, don't get me wrong, shepherds were thought of as lowly and all that is correct, but I think God intentionally sent angels to shepherds for a reason. See, shepherds also in their day may have been lowly, may not have been the kingly or the political powers that you would think of, but shepherds were those blue-collar, down-to-earth, no-nonsense kind of guys. Shepherds are not easily fooled. Shepherds know when someone's putting them on. Shepherds are intentionally looking for danger. They're, they're practical men. They're guys who don't have time to deal with fantasy and make-believe, right? These are guys who are, are dealing every day with real-life things. These are guys who will tell you exactly what they saw, exactly the way they saw it, whether you like it or not. And if you believe it, they don't care. They're just real people. And God brings this message of Christmas to them first. And it, it makes me wonder if he did that because he knew that even though most people wouldn't think he'd come to shepherds, most people know shepherds aren't going to make up some kind of story like this. God intentionally sends them. And he tells them, there's so much packed into verse 10, he says, this is good news of great joy for all people. And the shepherds are the first people to hear the real Christmas message of a coming king. And their response their response is to immediately go and see if what they've been told is true. They drop everything they have and they run to see what God has said. As Bible scholar Mark Moore says, he says, The shepherds meet the one true shepherd who is also the one true lamb. These shepherds' response reminds us of how you and I are supposed to respond to Christmas. They hear the message of a king who has come to set captives free. 
and they hear this message, and in faith, they believe this message, and they go immediately to Jesus, and they bring everything they are to him. They find Jesus, and they obey. Christmas should bring you straight to Jesus. Well, there's one more group of people that Luke talks about. In verse 25, it says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. He waited for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. He said it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. And Simeon came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took Jesus in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word because my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said about Jesus and Simeon blessed them and told Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, a sword will pierce through your own soul so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. And there was also a prophetess named Anna there. And she was advanced in years. She had lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow, she was 84 years old. She did not depart from the temple. She worshiped with fasting day and night and prayer. And coming that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Jesus to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. These two are my favorites. Can you imagine? 84 years old. And she had spent all of her life, for the most part, sitting in the temple, serving and praying and fasting and waiting Simeon, old and advanced in years, had been told he didn't get to die until Jesus came, waiting and waiting and hoping and praying. I can't fathom that kind of patience. Like, we will have Christmas dinner at our house, and like, we get done eating, and I'm like, all right, where's the pie? Right? And somebody says, well, we're going to wait a couple. Two hours? I waited four hours to cook the turkey, right? Like, I can't fathom waiting this long. We put Christmas packages under our tree this week. My kids are ready to open them now. Like, they're going to wait a week, and I do that. Like, I'd put them in there in September to torture them if I was allowed, or if I thought about Christmas in September. <laughs> These people have waited their whole life. And Jesus shows up, and Simeon's response is this great response of hope fulfilled. See, it's interesting, Simeon wasn't just waiting for a Messiah and a Savior. Simeon is waiting to die in peace. He cannot die until Jesus comes. He cannot have peace in the next life until Jesus comes. He cannot know what goes on after this earthly life until Jesus shows up. He cannot have anything beyond right now until Jesus comes. Neither can you. Neither can me. There is no peace after this earthly life until Jesus comes to your life. And Simeon's response is joy. 
unspeakable joy. Anna, who's waited 84 years for this. She's been alone and widowed for most of that. She's waited and waited and watched and hoped and prayed and served. And as soon as he comes, 84-year-old Anna's response, I love this. And she says, Jesus, you're great. And then she leaves and tells everyone she knows. She saw the hope that she had waited 84 years for. And instead of going, finally, she goes, all right, now, now I can get to work. And she tells everyone she knows about the hope that has arrived. Simeon and Anna are part of this faithful remnant of Jewish people who have been desperately longing and waiting for the Messiah their whole life. Simeon had to see the Messiah before he left this earthly life. They'd waited their whole existence for this. And then they saw what Jesus would say later. They saw the resurrection and the life. Jesus said that's who he is, and that whoever believes in him, though they die, they will live. Some would say Simeon and Anna never actually lived until Jesus came. But I do know this, neither of them ever died after he did. Church, as the band comes this morning, I want to read one more scripture to you in John Chapter 1, verse 9, they're talking about Jesus. And John says, the true light, Jesus, <clears throat> which gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. Jesus, he, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. Jesus came to his own, he, he went to his own people and they did not receive him. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, all who believed in his name, Jesus gave the right to become the children of God. See, the reality is nothing's changed in over 2,000 years. Nothing changes from the first Christmas till the Christmas in another week. The world's response is always the same to Christmas. You either see it or you don't. Their response was either to receive the king or reject him. And that's still true today. Which one will you be? You know, the funny thing is, that day at, at that demo derby was a great day. Like, I know it sounds kind of funny, but that actually would have been probably one of the best anniversary dates I've ever taken my wife on. But it was a great day. Like, we were together, we were at this place, we were celebrating, we had friends and people that we considered family all around us, there was good food. I don't care what you're cooking for Christmas. It's not better than a funnel cake. And uh, <laughs> like, so there's good food. There's people. There's celebration. There's all these things that are wonderful. But they're only good if you don't miss the person who the day's supposed to be about. All those things that we were there weren't bad. What was bad is I forgot the person the day was supposed to be about. Church, hear me this morning. All the stuff we're going to do in the next few weeks is good. There's nothing wrong with Christmas. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with celebrating and having food and giving presents and being around family. That's good. But it's only good if it brings us to the person the day's about instead of taking us away. And don't miss this. Christmas is about none of those things. Christmas is about a king who came and who's coming again. 
Christmas is about the question of do you know him? See, it's actually easier to miss Christmas than you think. And we want to make sure that doesn't happen to any of us this year. If you want, if you've never given your life to the one who Christmas is about, boy, would we love to talk to you about that. We'd love to help you open the best present you will ever get. The king who came and died so that you could live. That's Christmas. And our prayer is that you don't miss it. Let's sing.